Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode, uh, a Grace Story episode where we're going to just share the, the story of one of our Grace Story community members. Uh, now, if you think that there's someone out there that we need to have them on this podcast uh, to share on an episode about their story, I'd love it if you'd send me uh, a direct message on social media uh, through the Grace Story Podcast Instagram account or the Grace Story Podcast Facebook page, or send me an email at nate at gracestoryministries.com. If you haven't already, go over and click like on Facebook for Grace Story Podcast on the page and click follow over there at Grace Story Podcast on Instagram. Lots of great stuff over there for you to go through and follow along, and you'll always know when a new episode comes out. Now, just before I tell you who our guest is, I do want to give you the opportunity, if you want to support Grace Story Podcast, there's an easy way to give. Just text Grace Story, all one word, to 44321. That's Grace Story, all one word, to 44321. That's where you can uh, give your, your tax-deductible gift to Grace Story Ministries and support this podcast. Uh, any amount helps. Uh, doesn't matter how small, how big. Uh, we'd love for you to be a part of this ministry in a tangible way. Now, our guest today is Demetria Hubbard. Uh, she is part of our Grace Story community, and she has a story to tell about uh, coming out of an abusive relationship that turned into an abusive marriage um, and how God just restored her life uh, to where she is now in a safe, promising, uh, beautiful place. So let's go to that conversation right now with Demetria Hubbard. Demetria Hubbard, it is good to have you on Grace Story Podcast to share your story. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. I heard it on another uh, podcast, uh, and uh, I was excited to get this over to our, our audience on this end, but we're glad to have you here today. Um, and what's something, if I was just getting to know Demetria, what is something about you that uh, that is interesting that others may not know right off the bat? Me, to me, I'm kind of boring. You know, I just have the same routine all the time, you know, work, church, children, family, you know, so I don't really have anything really major. Um, I guess if you want to say major, I have a love for people, um, especially women that have been in my situation. Um, it, it's just I, I don't know why. Well, yes, I do. Let me let me take that back. Um, I do know why, because of what I went through, and I don't want people to have to experience that if they don't have to. So that's just, I guess that's just me. I'm a people person. Well, that's understandable. I mean, sometimes it, with, with all of us, the stories that resonate the most are the ones that uh, we can you know, empathize with because we've been there. Uh, right. So in speaking of being there, speaking of your story, um, it's a, it's a, a crazy story. Uh, I'm telling you, as I listen to it, there's some ups and downs in it and some twists oh, and turns. And yeah, sometimes yeah, when, yeah. when, uh, to others looking in, it may not, they may not have known who was the good guy, who was the bad guy, right. uh, you know? Right. So right. Uh, in your own words, let's just get started in your story, in your own words, in whatever timeline you want to start with, what does Demetria's grace story look like? It looks a little foggy. 
Uh, you know, some people say when there's smoke, there's fire. Um, I overlooked a lot of things. I can honestly say, um, I think I had, I was only 35 years old when I met him and in the back of my mind, I don't want to be alone forever. And he's saying all these sweet nothings that I'm not used to hearing. So I can, you know, once I got out of it and really sat and looked at the situation as a whole, I overlooked a lot of things that I can honestly say, just being transparent that I just overlooked them because, oh, you know, maybe it'll get better. And it didn't get better. I almost lost my life or almost took his life in, you know, in the, in the, in the situation. So, I mean, if there were some things that I could say that I would do different, I would not ignore the red flags. That's what I, that's what I would say. Well, let's go back to the beginning of that. Cause it can't have started out with a bunch of red flags. So what yeah. start, start at the beginning of that relationship going into it and, and how it got deeper and deeper in, in seeming love and a relationship where you were moving towards uh, what looked like forever together. Right. Um, well, we met when I was going to this, um, like a review course, uh, out of town. And, um, he just happened to be in the little, uh, plaza where I was at and, you know, just, you know, small talk. Hey, how are you? You know, Hey, how are you? You know, Hey, are you seeing anybody that, that type of conversation and we ended up exchanging numbers later on, maybe that day, maybe the next day, I think, you know, it was just small talk trying to get to know each other. I, you know, just kind of kept it, kept it light at first or whatever. Oh, you know, a little silly question. What do you like to do? What do you like to do? Your favorite color? Just that, that type of conversation. He, it was getting close to my birthday. And, um, I, you know, I, of course I expressed to him that my birthday was coming close and he was like, oh, okay. I had the, the I had the review class that day, and he told me to come to his house. Of course, I have Facebook, so he had took like a picture off of Facebook or whatever, and had it uploaded onto a birthday cake, and had flowers. And me and my grandma, we had the same birthday. And of course, in the course of getting to know each other, of course, I mentioned her, and we had the same birthday. So he had flowers for her, and a card, and a cake, and flowers or a card for me or whatever. So it was like he was building up almost like a fantasy land, I guess, for me, because I wasn't used to that. You know, I, I do have, uh, me and him don't have any children together, but I do have children from, you know, previous relationships. Um, and the way that my children's fathers treated me was not like how he, he he was treating me, um, you know, just being nice and just stuff that I just was not used to. Further along, we, um, you know, we ended up starting, starting dating. And a lot of the red flags that I can say that I missed, because at the time I'm thinking, oh, it's so cute. And it really was not. Um, him calling all day. Where are you at? Who you with? What you doing? You know, I'm thinking that it's out of pure concern until, um, you know, further on along, 
it was a control thing for him. Um, like I said, he lived in one city. I lived in another. We lived about an hour away from each other. And it was always at first he came uh, down to me. And then next thing I know, I'm constantly going to his city, going to a city, going to a city. And it was like I was being timed. Well, you said you got off of work at this time and it only takes this amount of time to get to my house. What were you doing in the meantime? And at first I'm like, mm, you know, I, I don't know if you're saying it out of concern or, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of like I'm listening, but I'm throwing it to the back of my mind like, oh, you know, maybe he just, you know, maybe he just concerned because, you know, I got a long ride or whatever. So I'm hearing you. I'm hearing Go you ahead, say I'm you're sorry. you're rationalizing it, and it almost sounds like you're almost internalizing it, making it, well, maybe I'm doing something to make him think he needs to be doing these things to check up on me. Yes, exactly. It just, it, it, just, it was like a, a downhill spiral or a, just like a, a little tiny pea-sized snowball that turned into an avalanche. So what ended up happening is, um, you know, like I said, I kept throwing everything to the back of my mind. Um, you know, it, 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 it was more of a controlling factor. And I just was like, eh. I knew in my heart and I knew in my spirit that something was not right. But again, just being a woman and wanting to be loved and cherished and all of those good things, you just like, eh. Well, I mean, he's still showing interest. So, you know, maybe it is, you know, maybe I'm I'm off a little. Maybe my radar is off or maybe I'm thinking too much. In all actuality, I was hitting every nail on the head, but I just decided not to go with my gut feeling and just, you know, throw it up, throw it on the back burner. Well, let me um, let me ask you this before we get to because there's a culmination of a whole evening of events that that I'm sure you'll describe here that that happen. Um, but in, in these moments, these red flags, is there anyone looking in, uh, on your life and seeing this and giving you advice or saying anything to you? Um, yeah, it, my cousin, she, you know, she's like, something's wrong with him. You know what I mean? And, and I'm listening and I'm all, you know, she point out things. And of course I knew she was right. So I wasn't arguing with her. I just was like, yeah, I know. But then there's that, there's that, yeah, I know, but, and I was always giving her that, yeah, I know, but my family members, my, my mother, she, she couldn't stand him. She did not like him at all. And I don't think my children, I'm pretty sure my children didn't like him at all either, but I don't, you know, I, I just, honestly, I don't know how I just kept letting this stuff go on for so long. It was just like a whirlwind of craziness. I mean, you know, in the last podcast, there was, you know, th things that I didn't leave out intentionally. It was just, it was so many incidences that I just couldn't keep up with them. Yeah. So it, it, I have to channel a listener here because I know there's, and you know, there's going to be somebody out there listening saying, yeah, I wouldn't have stuck around for that. I, right. I, I feel like I would have left right then. Why, mm -hmm. why stay? Oh, what I call is the honeymoon phase. This is what I call. That's what I call it. He acts crazy and all of that. And then when you tell him I'm done, I'm done. You can, you know, quit calling here. Don't, you know, just leave me alone. Then it's you're getting the flowers and the clothes and the whatevers and the whatnots. 
I call that the honeymoon phase. How I described it to a friend of mine, I said, it's like being a fish on a hook and they throw you out there and then they do all this stuff to you and then they reel you back in with gifts and, oh, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And please forgive me. And then we, I, I'm not going to say we, I'm going to say me, me as a woman, I fell for the okie doke time and time and time again. And you eventually, two things end up happening because I've seen it um, from both spectrums. My spectrum was I got tired. Eventually, it took me like two and a half years to finally just say, I can't do this. I don't want to do this anymore. And I have daughters. I don't ever want them to think that this is the way that a man should treat you. You just keep getting real back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And either you, A, you get the strength to really leave or B, you either end up hurting them or they end up hurting or killing you. And then that's the end of the story. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like there's such a, I don't want to call it a connection, but mm -hmm. uh, I want to call it maybe they, they've got uh, a, a, a manipulation over you so much so that, you know, they can even make you see their side of it. And maybe it was my fault. And, you know, okay, I could have done better. Maybe I shouldn't have hit the buttons uh, on that. I, I could have contributed a little bit more. When you're going through that mindset and they've got the manipulation power over you, is there anything anybody else can say into your life that can help? Not at that time. Mm -mm. What I call it and what I, I've learned, because I've, I've, I've never heard of the word narcissistic until after I had got out of the relationship. And then, you know, I got the definition of what it was and what it meant. And then different women that I'm in different domestic violence groups, they were saying things that was dead on with him and it categorized his narcissistic behavior. Just being a narcissist, the control freak. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I can't go and diagnose him per se, but what his family was telling me, but this was way after the fact, is that he was bipolar. It lined up with, you know, some of the things that he was doing. And like I said, I don't, I can't put a stamp on it saying that that's what it was, but, you know, some of those things, it, it was de definitely bipolar behavior and narcissistic behavior. You know, I, like I said, to, there's no, I mean, there's no excuse. I mean, but for my, in my case, the, that incident happened before I even married him and other things that went on before I married him and I still married him. But when I'm, I'm telling you right now, we went downtown to justice of the peace or whatever, and we got married and while I was standing in front of that judge, I felt like my heart just sunk to the pit of my stomach because I knew that this is not what I wanted to do. And I knew that if I gave any resistance, it was going to be some mess. And I just went along with it and I was so unhappy. It just, you know, I had to, I really put on a, a, a mask. I really put on a front to make people think that I was, oh, just, oh, so in love, you know, posting pictures and, oh, we're doing this and, you know, making it seem like it was 
real and loving and in all actuality be, you like you've ever heard saying you never know what goes on behind closed doors i was living through hell me and my children it was like a whirlwind of like how did i get here and of course when him and i got married i was isolated if I even thought about going to visit my family, it was an argument. I never told my family because I knew that if they knew somebody was going to jail and I didn't want that for my relatives because this is the choice that I made. I don't want to get anybody involved. I'm, I have to figure out a way to get out of this. So, so no one, I mean, the only person that was in my family that knew I don't know. I, I can't think if my cousin was still here in Ohio or Arizona. I really don't remember. But she's the only one that knew. But what was she going to do? She's a good 115 pounds soaking wet. She never, you know, outed me to the rest of my family or anything, you know, like that. She just would always be a listening ear and be my rock when I needed her. Well, as I'm listening to you. I'm I'm hearing even now that uh, like you're taking responsibility. This you're saying it's my decision. I got myself into this, mm-hmm. um, but you know to 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 be fair, manipulation uh, that you don't just allow yourself to be manipulated. It's oh yeah, you right. would. But l- let me in all of that. You're you're feeling alone. You're isolated. Where is God in all of this for you? Well, what, what's your relationship with God looking like in those moments? Are you doubting? Are you turning your back on God? Are you drawing closer to God? How is, who is God in this moment for you after the marriage and the isolation uh, for Demetria? At first I was ashamed because I'm like, I know this is not what God, you know, put me in. I was really, 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 really ashamed. And like I said, I had a church back home where I was from. But I, of course, you know, like I said, with the isolation, I wasn't going to church like I should. But my, my, my pastor at that time, his wife, she would call and check on me and she would be like, you know, God brought my name, brought your name to me. And, 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 and I just, you know, I just, calling to check on you, you know, to make sure you're okay. And of course, at the time he wasn't there uh, for me to be able to talk to her, uh, you know, and be open, you know, kind of open and honest. Um, But what I would tell her was like, I'm just really tired. And I, and she knew exactly what I meant. I didn't mean I needed a nap. I just meant that I am mentally, physically, and emotionally drained. And I don't know what to do or how to go about getting myself out of this situation that I allowed myself to get into. It it was just like I don't like being in in a in a web, and can't you can't every turn or every turn you make, you're getting deeper and deeper into the web. You know, dealing with a person like him. One church in his city that I had went to, and I had met this lady. I met her at the job that I had. I was a, a, a dialysis tech, and I had met her. She was a she had a, she was a pastor of a you know a little small church, maybe 10, 15, 20 members, maybe you know. And I would 
talk to her while I was at work and tell her, you know, some of the things that were going on. And, it, you know, just being who I am, I'm not one of those people that be that go, you know, try to blab all of my business. But I really think that I was looking for somebody to give me some type of something so I can get out of this because I had no way of knowing what to do at that at that moment. So I guess I was just looking for for answers from anyone at the time, but I just I just I didn't know my way of escape at that time. But back to the the question, like I said, at first I was ashamed and then I was like, God, you got to do something cuz I I there's nothing more that I can do cuz if you don't do something, I'm going to do something that's going to cause me to go to jail. So let's go to that pivotal moment, that that uh that evening that kind of you talked about in, in other podcasts of your story that um, that made a difference and changed the course. What, what did that night look like? Where does it start? Um, of course, like I said, you know, by this time I was I was starting to get fed up. So I'm calling the police more and and their favorite line is, oh, you guys are married. It isn't much we can do. Only thing we can do is, you know, you can file a report and, uh, you know, go from there or whatever um and then with him you know he would do his little stuff to me he would hit me spit on me throw stuff at me uh whatever choke me whatever and then by the time i'm able to get to my phone to call the police he's already gone 20 minutes into a different city because i lived um, in the suburbs, his mother lived in in the inner city. So, of course, you know, every police station has its own jurisdiction. So he would do whatever and then run down to his mom's where he knew that they're not going, you know, they might call the other police station and say, you know, give his description, his name and all of that. But they he knew that they didn't care. He he did that for a while. Like I said, so many things have went on. I felt that I needed to be strong for my daughters. I just was like, something has to give because I don't know what else to do. So he, on this night in question, I have a restraining, well, a, a temporary restraining order on him. So he had broke the side door window because I had got the locks changed. So he kept sticking his hand through there. I would put chairs up against the lock and he would just, you know, finagle it, finagle it, finagle it until he could get it loose so he can get entrance into the house. Well, this night I was asleep and there was this little like cubby hole in the wall where you could just like put little knickknacks or whatever. And I would always throw my keys up in the little cubby hole. So I would know where they're at. Um, you know, when I'm getting ready to go to work or leave for the day or whatever. So I'm asleep. He comes in, takes my car. I wake up. It's probably, I don't know, two, two thirty in the morning. Go to the restroom. Something says, look out the window. Now, the bathroom window was where I could lift it up and I could see my driveway. I seen my car was gone. 
I know it's not stolen. <laughs> and I know evidently if it ain't out here and his car, his car was there, but he took mine. So I call him and I said, where is my car? He was like, what? I said, where is my car? So then I got called every name in the book besides a child of God. And he told me, if you want your car, you can walk and go and get it from my mom's. And I said, no, you're going to bring me my car from where you got it from. So he's, you know, acting crazy, cussing, fussing, whatever. He um, hangs up on me. So I called my cousin. Yeah, my cousin was in Ohio at the time. I just thought about that. I called my cousin and I was calm. Normally, when stuff like this goes on, I'm not calm. I knew this was the night that I didn't care what went on, who said what. I didn't care about the consequences. Somebody somebody was going to end up hurt that night. I had that in my mind. So I call her and I said, he's taking my car again and I am going to, he's going to pay. He's going to pay. And she's like, oh my goodness. You know, what's going on? Like I said, it's 2.33 o'clock in the morning. I'm waking her up. She's asleep. He calls back and he doesn't know that I clicked her. I merged the call and she's on the phone. Again, he's telling me if you want your car, you can come, you can walk and get it from my mom's. And like I said, I'm every name in the book, but what's on my birth certificate? Time goes past, he pulled up, but he didn't, you know, he didn't know. He, I mean, I'm sure he probably knew I was woke, but he didn't know how angry I was and um, how the house is made. It was um, come down the steps and there's a front door, but the front door has like a long hallway. And if you turn the lights out, you can't see who's standing in the hallway. So I turned all the lights out. I stood in the hallway and I waited for him to come into the side door. And um, evidently he didn't see me. He was he came in and he was cussing and fussing. And I was standing right in this hallway and then when he was like on the first step I jumped out I said where are my keys and he jumped back and he had threw my keys on the couch I think I get in the I'm pretty sure I got in the car and he was in the house still and um he comes outside and he's chasing me around asking me for the cell phone because the cell phone was on his plan and that was another game of manipulation that he liked to play um my phone that i had right you know when i met him i was on a plan with one of my relatives and he ends up putting me on the plan with him but basically it was just to watch me to watch my texts and watch who i'm calling and all of that so anyway back to that night He's chasing me around outside and the neighbor's house is super close to the driveway. And I looked up and I could see them in the window, but they wouldn't call the police. They hear me outside screaming and him cussing and me running and yelling and all of that. They, they, 
They didn't do anything. So he runs back into the house. By this time, I'm in the car. Got the car started. And um, I roll the window down and I tell him, you need to leave. And he's like, I'm not going any blankety blank wear and all of that. And I'm just like, you need to leave. I think he goes back in the house. I jump out the car. He didn't know, but I had went and bought a 380 Ruger. And I had it underneath the tire, underneath the spare tire in my trunk. So I get the gun. I put it in my pocket. I jump back in the car. It's just a back and forth thing. I mean, just back and forth, back and forth. He's going in the house, coming outside. When he comes outside, he's kicking my car. He's he's trying to pop the, the side mirrors off. And we're yelling and screaming and arguing. And, and, I, and, you know, I'm trying to hit him with the car and all of this other stuff. I'm just like, why don't you just leave? And he's st steady telling me he's not going anywhere. As he's you know, continues to beat on my car. And I'm putting it in drive, putting it in reverse, putting it in drive, putting it in reverse, putting it in drive, putting it in reverse. So he's not, so he's not damaging my vehicle. After so long, I just got tired of doing that. And I just was like, you know what? I remember pulling up to the side door and saying to him one last time, you need to leave. And he told me he wasn't going nowhere. And he's outside kicking my car again. So what I ended up doing, I pulled completely out of the driveway. I turned the car, um, I, I think to the right, left. I don't remember. In all actuality, I just remember rolling the window all the way down and letting off six shots. I let the shots off and I drove myself to the police station. Mind you. I have my youngest daughter. She's in the house, sleep, but I'm at the police station. So I'm telling them, you know, what has went on. And luckily, the officers that I was talking to that night, they had been to my house several times, more than I could count. And um, they were like, well, is he alive or is he dead? I said, I don't know. I don't know if I hit him or if I didn't. I just, I just, I'm tired. I, I got tired. So the one officer asked me, well, what exactly happened? And then I gave, you know, I told him, well, he took my car and this and that. And, then, you know, I let the window, down, you know, all the stuff in between. And I, you know, told him I you know, let off six round, let off six shots. And I came here. He said, okay. So the second officer was like, well, where's the gun at now? I said, it's in the car on the front seat. She said, okay, I need to retrieve the gun. I said, okay. I gave her my keys. She went and got the gun. She brought it back in. So while the, the first officer is waiting for her to come back in with the gun, it hit me. I said, what did I just do? I said, I know for a fact I'm getting ready to go to jail. I'm going to jail. 
it's it's a fact. I'm going to jail. Everything just went out the window. I mean, all reasoning just it, it was like a light bulb came on. And it was like did wow, I really did this. She comes back in with the gun, she takes it wherever it is, she gotta take it. I don't know the evidence room wherever. She comes back, her and the officer, he looking at her, she looking at him, he she looking at him, he looking at her. I'm like, oh my goodness. They end up telling me, come with us. I said, mm, yeah, <laughs> they're about to lock me up. But what they ended up doing is putting me in the back of a police cruiser and having me go to the house. They wanted me to show them exactly where I was when I let off the rounds and how close was I and what, where was he standing and all of this other stuff. And I'm like, you know, I'm answering the questions. I'm telling them. So they allow me to go into the house. But of course, there's already other officers at the house checking out um, the surroundings. So, like I said, they let me go in the house. I had to write a statement of what happened. And again, my daughter is still upstairs asleep. She doesn't have a clue of what just went on at all. I'm asking the officer, like, uh, is my daughter still in here? And he was like, oh, your daughter's here. Yeah, upstairs she was. So they went and looked. She was there asleep. The officers that had came to my house several times, they were just like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stay here. We're going to allow you to get some clothes for you and your daughter. And you can go back to your hometown and I just kind of looked at him really strange like oh okay I got my clothes they drove me back to the station to, to get my vehicle and I took off and went back to my hometown and then of course um, I think maybe a week or two had went by uh, he had called my grandmother saying that there was a warrant for my arrest or whatever. And my grandma had told me that that I should call to see if there was really a warrant. Because, of course, you know, he's known to be, be a liar. So called the police station. Whoever I talked to was like, we don't have a warrant for you or whatever. I was like, OK, so I let my grandma know that they didn't. There, you know, the lady on the phone said there wasn't any warrant. So fast forward a little bit. Of course, I ended up having to move out of the house that, um, you know, everything happened at. My landlord was like, you know, we got the report and, you know, we're going to go ahead and um, dissolve your your lease. And I'm like, OK, I don't you know, um, it took me maybe a week or so to finally get a crew together to get the things out of the house. Um, like I said, I, I, I'm not real sure of how he knew that I was headed back his way to come and get my belongings. But I remember pulling up to the U-Haul the place um, on that side of town where I used to stay. It was only one U-Haul one on that side of town, period. However, he figured it out that I was on my way. He was was there. Um, I pulled in. I let my the people that were going to help me move. I let them out. 
and I was getting ready to back out, I remember having my window halfway down. And I remember him sticking his head in my window telling me, I will kill you, B. I didn't even see where he had came from. I didn't see his car, nothing. I just remember him threatening me and then running off. So I call, call the police. They asked me what happened. I tell them, you know, I just pulled up here to try to get my belongings. And he was in my car, you know, threatening me. And it was like, oh, okay. They ended up running my name or whatever. And uh, next thing I know, they're telling me to, yeah, they're telling me to drive over to their police station so they can write, so they can get a report, which to me was kind of weird. Like, I've never, you know, okay, I didn't know what the protocol for their station was, so I'm just doing as I'm told. So we get there, me, me and my cousin, we get there, and they're asking me to tell the story again, so I'm telling them again. Next thing I know, <laughs> I'm being put in handcuffs, and I'm like, what's going on? The same officers that came to my house before, the ones that let me go, they came was like, I, they was like, we know what happened, but the chief decided that they wanted to press charges and, you know, whatever. So I didn't resist arrest. I just, just went and got in the police car and went over there. I got booked and all of that. And it was a weekend. So I was in the city jail for two days. And um, I finally went before the judge on that Tuesday, and she said, well, it's Easter weekend. I'll never forget. She said, well, it's Easter weekend. Uh, I'm going to let you out on your own recognizance. You've never been in trouble. Um, you stay away from him, and he stay away from you. I said, okay. And um, she gave me a second court date for sentencing, but that was probably three weeks out. Fast forward to three weeks came and I just felt like I don't, you know, my life is in limbo. I don't know what's going to happen. I could possibly go to prison. Um, of course, we all know that Ohio has a um, gun spec law, which is, I think it's three years if you caught with a, with a gun, I believe. I'm like, am I going to lose my children? I mean, just all kinds of thoughts are going through my mind, uh, the day that I have to drive back to the city to go for sentencing. I go for sentencing. All these different people are, you know, there for court. They're, you know, case after case after case before they call my name. And this judge, he was tough. He um, called my name. And of course, I had a public defender and he had to tell the judge, you know, of course, why I was there or whatever. And he, he was like, well, you already know that I don't play about child endangerment because my charges were child endangerment and discharge of a firearm so the um public defender was like well you know she's never been in trouble um she's just graduated nursing school you know blah 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 so the judge was like okay she didn't graduated nursing school so what's she gonna do with that with with these kind of charges and I just remember just holding my head down, like, yeah, it's it's a wrap for me. Uh, you know, you know, he's already <laughs> already being tough and 
I've seen what he's done to the people ahead of me, so I don't know what's going to happen. So the attorney that I had, you know, he just kept talking. She's never been in trouble, this and this and that, and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, she has a long history of domestic violence with this individual. So he told him to hold on a second. So I'm guessing evidently he must have been looking through my file. And then he looked up at me and said, this is a clear case of self-defense. You don't need jail time. You don't need probation. I'm going to give you a $100 fine on each charge for the discharge of a firearm and the child endangerment. You have a nice day. I looked back at my cousin and she looked at me and I tried to hurry up and get out of there before he changed his mind. There had to be some sort of vindication of the whole event to have a judge who could have literally sent you to prison over this say, no, yeah. I see what happened. It's pretty clear. Uh, go on with your life um, and yeah. make something of it. So, and, and let's, let's fast, cause I know that there's a, there's a whole nother story with your nursing degree mm-hmm. and, and getting that with this type of thing on your, you know, your resume, uh, the mm-hmm. type of thing you don't want there. Um, and I know there's a lot with that, but let's fast forward to, to now. What, okay. where, where's Demetria now uh, through this grace story, uh, these events through your story, where has God brought you to, um, is it a place of safety? Is it a place of um, resolution? Where are you at right now? Um, where I'm at right now, I mean, I, I'm a, I, I'm so free. I don't hear from him at all. Period. Ever. Um, it's almost like if, if you can imagine this, it's like I'm dancing in a field of flowers because I'm finally free. It's been a long road for me to get to where I'm trying to go from this. This happened March of 17 and we are in 21. I am just now getting every document and every paperwork that I needed to get to the uh, to Columbus for the board of nursing to be able to sit for my boards. It's been a very, very, very long road. I mean, I've contacted different attorneys for expungement and this and that. And, you know, it just, they couldn't help me. So one thing that I can honestly say, it wasn't a, it wasn't an attorney. It wasn't, it was nobody with God for me to be able to actually be given a second chance to do what it is that I wanted to do. Because I was getting so much backlash, um, you know, because of, you know, those those charges. I mean, it was hard for me to even get a customer service job with those type of charges. But, you know, now I've been, like I said, I've been out of school a little while. We've, you know, like I said, I've been dealing with this for a while. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I just got the green light to go ahead and test. So I've been, um, you know, of course, like, you know, studying and, and, and taking review courses and all of that to prepare myself to take to take my board. So, I mean, in all actuality, if somebody had told me shoot, two years ago that I would be where I'm at today, I wouldn't believe them because it's been a long, tough, tearful 
road because I felt like my life was gone and over and that I would never be able to do what it was that I went to school for that I still have student loans for. I just never thought that I would be able to do this. I really, I really didn't. Well, and we don't often think about that side of these types of situations where there's there's some unintended baggage that comes along with you, even if you get out of those situations. And it's not always, it's, you know, listening to your story, it's inspiring, you know, those dark moments. And then to see where you're at now, completely free, running through fields, uh, about to sit for, you know, that inclex, uh, the excitement that goes along with that. And there's so much hope there. But I want to give you an opportunity to speak to someone who's out there right now that is possibly in the throes of where you were a few years ago. Um, they may be in a marriage relationship. They may be, you know, a teenager in a dating relationship, getting mm-hmm. gaslighted, getting manipulated, um, getting groomed uh, for for a life of, of darkness. Um, what would you say to that individual or just to Demetria? a few years ago, if you had the opportunity. Pay attention. It may seem like it's cute and fun and oh, they just love me so because they're asking where I'm at or what I'm doing or who I'm with or, you know, they pushed me or they grabbed my shoulders really tight and shift me. It doesn't get any better. I have a friend right now I re- me and her went to school together. She's she's gone. Her boyfriend killed her in the middle of a street. That could have easily been me. Pay attention to the signs. Do any and everything that you can to get out of an abusive relationship. It might start with verbal abuse financial abuse sexual abuse physical abuse get out and I understand everybody is saying well it's just not that easy I oh I I get it I know but do everything that you can reach out to people that you know that truly love you that want to see you alive and well don't just keep taking it because you love them evidently they don't love you because they won't keep their hands and their mouth off of you it's very serious because I don't ever want anyone to end up like my friend or to even end up like me I'm not a thug I'm not a gangbanger or anything like that I just wanted to finally be free and I had to go down that long, dark, deep path in order to get my freedom. And by the grace of God, I'm here today. So if you can do anything, and I mean anything, get out right away. And if you have children, think about your babies. How would they feel if you weren't here? What are you teaching your daughters or your sons? What that individual is doing to you, it's not cool. It's not cute or fun. You don't want your children to see you going through that. And and also, we all, you know, we we believe in the Lord. 
we believe in generational curses. You don't want that on your children. So my advice to you is get out and get out fast. Well, it sounds like what you're saying is it's not an over-dramatization to at that first red flag that you've been talking about. To at, it, it means fight for your life. It means at that first time of, of abuse that it's time to fight for your life and run. Um, and we talked about this a little bit with Amanda Corzine in, I believe it was episode nine, uh, where she's a sexual assault nurse examiner and she works with domestic violence victims. Uh, and she, she talks about these things. So there are resources out there. Go back and listen to that podcast uh, episode, episode nine. Uh, but Demetria, thank you so much for coming on this episode. Thank you for sharing your story. I know you got uh, a book in the works. You're writing your story. Uh, so can't wait for that to come out. But um, thank you for coming on this episode. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you to the listener for joining in. We're glad that you are here. Uh, if you have a story that you uh, feel could could be of benefit to others in the Grace Story community, or if you know someone who you think their story should be shared on Grace Story Podcast, uh, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram uh, on one of those accounts, or send me an email, nate at gracestoryministries.com, and I'd love to have a conversation about that. Uh, few things for you to do before you go. If you like this episode, go ahead and share it. Send a screenshot. Let other people know about it. Uh, share your favorite episode on your social media page. And speaking of social media, uh, go on over to Facebook. Click like and, and follow that Great Story Podcast Facebook page. Share that with your friends. And let's continue to grow that community. While you're over there, jump into groups and search for Great Story uh, community. Uh, that is a group that has exclusive content from instructors uh, like Ryan Waters, Mandy Buckland, uh, Scott Schneider, uh, uh, Kathy Sprinkle, and many, many more. Uh, there's all sorts of conversations going on in there, uh, journal prompts, all sorts of great stuff. There's a few questions that you have to answer to get in, but after that, you're in that closed exclusive group. Jump over to Instagram and click follow on the Great Story podcast page so that you know when a new episode comes out and there's also great resources there for you as well if you'd like to be a part of the ministry in a more tangible way uh, you can easily give by simply texting grace story all one word to 44321 that's grace story all one word to 44321 uh, all all gifts are tax deductible it doesn't matter how big how small every gift to grace story ministry has an impact uh, for helping others on their journey of restoration now, we will be back in two weeks, as always, with uh, another episode for you. Uh, we got some great guests lined up that we're uh, going to be recording conversations with them in the not-too-distant future. Uh, so we hope you'll come back after, after two weeks. Until then, we'll be praying for you on your journey of restoration. Don't stop. Keep going. We're all in this together. <laughs>